Hi, thanks for listening in to the Evolutions Podcast. Here's a really, really dope message dropped fresh from our youth service. Can't wait to see you at church. So, do you know that it's actually essential for human beings to have imaginations? In fact, God created us with an instinct to imagine. In fact, not too long ago, you know, about 20, 30 years back, parents used to freak out when their children had imaginary friends. They would go to the doctor and say, my kid is imagining things, I'm worried about them, is something wrong, do they have a mental disorder? But fast forward to today, scientists and researchers have found that it's actually extremely common that at least 65% of children report having imaginary friends. You know, I need to nudge your neighbor right now, all the youth, and say, is pastor talking about you? So they found 65% of children actually have, report having imaginary friends, and it starts when we are about three to five years old. Now, whether it's a completely made-up imaginary friend with a personality, with traits and its own will, uh, or a soft toy that comes alive to keep them company and have conversations with, scientists have found that in recent times, in their research, that it's actually a natural, healthy, and in fact, an important milestone in the development of the human brain. In fact, to not have an imagination would be to a child's detriment because they will not hit certain social and emotional benchmarks in their life. And often, what they found is that the lack of imagination is a precursor to mental issues and struggles down the road. So nowadays, doctors and psychologists actually encourage parents to let kids have imaginary friends and to even play along with them. You know, they found in their research that kids are not delusional. They know that it's make-believe. They are not, so don't have to worry. You're not going psychotic or sociopathic by having, being lost in your imagination. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They found that kids with imaginary friends know that it's imaginary, but as they are playing, they are more likely to develop creativity. They are more likely to develop empathy. They are more likely to develop social awareness and become confident. They have more abilities to articulate themselves and to express their self-esteem, and they learn to take care of others around them by taking care of their imaginary friends. So listen, what science has found is that God has created us with imagination for a reason. And today I want to talk to you about that because you here, listen, God wants to do amazing things with your life through your imagination. So are you ready for the first point today? The first thing I want to say to you is that God speaks to us through our imagination. You know, in the beginning of the book of Acts, in the Gospels, you know, the Bible tells us that God's Spirit was poured out on His disciples. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you know that this is the day we call Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on His disciples. Okay, so when Jesus was on earth, for all the new Christians here who haven't gone through follow-up class, when Jesus was still on earth, He promised us that when He went back to heaven physically to be with God the Father, that He would send His Holy Spirit to us so that we would never be alone. 
The Holy Spirit is the person of God that speaks to us, that guides us, that empowers us to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. He is the presence that you feel when you stand in a room and you praise and worship God and you feel something in your spirit, you feel something in the atmosphere. That is God, the Holy Spirit. Right, so the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes upon the disciples on Pentecost and empowers them to now be able to change the world, to do miracles and to do great and mighty feats. But let me tell you, one of the things that also happens is they start to be able to hear God speaking to them. Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So what is the Bible here saying in Acts? It's saying that one of the evidences that you have God, that you have Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life, is that you will see visions and dream dreams. That you will also prophesy, which in the Bible doesn't mean, right, that you become like some medium and some, 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 some channel for a spirit, okay? In the Bible, prophesy means that you will pray, you will put into action what God speaks to you, His Word speaks to you, and the world will change and reality will be transformed. So, but how does that change start? We want to change the world, right? But it starts, the Bible says, with the dreams and visions, with our imagination. You see, the language that God's Spirit speaks and uses to communicate with us is dreams and visions. It's ideas. It's hopes and daydreams of a better future. So I have found something to be true, and that is when you are a new Christian and you are first baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't even have to try very hard to hear God speak. Unless something has happened in your life to prevent you from hearing from God, or there's some stronghold or hurt that needs to be healed that God needs to work on, other than those rare occasions, every Christian I have met, once you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is natural. It is instinctual. You know, God starts to communicate with you and He comes into your life. Immediately, your imagination starts to spring to being. Right? You know, ask anyone in our church why they come to Revival Nation. Usually, they give you two answers. The first is they love the friendships that they made over here in this community. And number two, they say, God put a purpose and a dream in my heart. And I can't help it. I want to live for this wonderful purpose and dream that I couldn't have thought of myself, that I couldn't have imagined I'd be able to do. You can't help it because if God is in your life, His Spirit is already speaking. His Spirit is already putting in you a passion and excitement. He's putting in you ideas about your future. So you here, listen, do you know all your leaders in church, you know, they are... You know, who they are today, when they stand on this platform and they speak to you and they lead you, it all started with a dream years ago. The persons that you see leading you on the platform, preaching, teaching, changing lives, their person today is the result of their dreams from yesterday. Their dreams may have changed and evolved over the years as they grew up. For example, 
most of them will probably tell you they dreamed of being on a worship team. Most of us did make it to the worship team, but some of us switched lanes along the way. Some of us did other things as we found other passions and things that we were good at in church. As God directed us, as God molded our hopes and our imagination, our directions changed. But it started with our imagination, with our dreams. So I want to encourage you today, you know, all the youth here, especially the June holidays, you've been connecting with God, praying, coming to camp. I want to encourage you that God has been planting ideas into your heart, into your head, and you've been pushing it down or telling yourself, that's too crazy, I'm not capable of that. You know, that's not what my other friends in church are doing or my friends in school are doing. Listen, don't do that because it's probably God that's speaking to you. You know, it's probably the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you and you need to tell Him, keep on speaking through my imagination. Show me which parts are me and which parts are not, which parts are you, and give me the courage to act out those visions in my head. You know, when I was 14 years old and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the dreams that God put in my heart was to become a preacher. And at that time, I thought that being a preacher meant that you had to be a missionary or an evangelist. Now, if you're thinking, what's the difference, Pastor? What's an evangelist? Well, when I was growing up, evangelists were people who specialized in preaching messages to win souls in big numbers. So instead of just EV sermon on Christmas and Easter, these guys were preaching EV sermons every single sermon. Now, of course, as I've grown older, I realized that is not my calling, amen? My dream has changed. It has evolved. But I did think that when I was 14, 15, 16. And every time I would pray, God would work in my imagination and I would see myself preaching to crowds of young people. Challenging them, convicting them, asking, to, asking them to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. I would see myself doing altar call and praying for them, laying hands on them, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit and seeing them hear God for themselves. But even as I saw those visions in my quiet time and prayer time, I thought I had lost my mind. Why? Because I had a terrible fear of public speaking. And I'm talking about the kind where you shake, you hyperventilate, you get a panic attack, and you freeze. I remember right, the first time I did a five-minute presentation in Sec 2 in class, I nearly passed out during the presentation. You know, I started seeing stars and the whole classroom in front of me started turning white and I made it, I ended the presentation, I made it to my chair just in time before I fell over. The first time I shared in a youth meeting in church, I froze in front of everyone for five minutes and I was so embarrassed. But as God worked in my imagination, when I would pray in my room alone, I would start to pretend to be that person I saw in my imagination. And then suddenly, one day, when I was 17 years old, I got the opportunity to preach at a chapel for all the lower secondary students in PLMGS. And there were about 500 to 600 students and teachers in that assembly hall. It was a two-tier auditorium. And that day, when I walked out on stage, something happened, something came over me. Suddenly, when I stepped out, the fear left. I didn't stumble over my words. I didn't panic. I preached, and over 60 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. You see, that is the power of your imagination. 
God calls you through your imagination. God speaks to you through your imagination. He heals you through your imagination. He prepares you and strengthens you through your imagination so that you can create a new reality in your life. So my question to you, all the youth here, is this. What are your dreams? What occupies your imagination? What have you been daydreaming about in your spare time? What have you been hearing from God that is igniting your passion, making you come alive and get crazy excited for your future? What is God showing you that is so exciting that it's getting harder and harder to push it down? It's getting harder and harder not to talk about it or pray about it or even act it out when no one is looking. Because when that is happening, God is speaking something to you. The Bible says his mode of communication, his language, his dreams. You know, he is about to change your future through your imagination. Amen? So, now, just as God speaks to us through our imagination, guess what? There's an opposing force to God, and that is the devil. And the devil will try to stop you by limiting your imagination. Let me repeat. The devil stops us by limiting our imagination. You know, I have realized personally over the years as I've grown in Jesus that the devil doesn't have a lot of power at his disposal. In fact, none, because the Bible says Jesus defeated him at the cross. So the only thing the devil has left in his arsenal is to manipulate, to lie and to cheat and to bluff in order to steal, kill and destroy us. And one of the ways he does it is by limiting our imagination. So if you can't take away the power of your imagination because that's the God power of you, when God breathed life into you, he put that creative imagination that he had on the inside of you. So the devil can't take it away completely, but he can do his best to limit it, to chain it up, to lock it up. Because if he can limit it, he can stop you. So let me give you an example in the Bible. Is that all right? So let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's talk about Adam and Eve. Now, and you know the story, right? God took Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Paradise, and he tells them, you can eat everything in this garden except this one tree. This one tree, don't touch it. Do not eat its fruit. And God says, otherwise you'll be cut off from my presence and you will die. But human beings being humans, right? The one thing, especially, you know, young people and young adults, and they were young people, I suppose, at that point of time. The one thing you tell us not to do, we go and do. So, Adam and Eve do something really silly. They hang around near the tree. I mean, that's like saying, right, you want to stop eating McDonald's and then you go and hang around outside McDonald's. And so the devil sees his chance. He comes to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, 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 how are you doing? Hey, did God really say don't eat of that tree? And Eve says, yeah, if we eat, we will die. The devil replies, listen to his reply, it's very interesting, right? He says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, long story short, the Bible says they did die from eating the tree, of the tree. 
They were, you know, they didn't physically, literally die immediately, but they were chased out of the presence of God. And eventually they died of old age, okay? So they didn't die literally, but let me tell you what did happen. Their future died. Their future became limited. God had plans to give them eternal life, but now they only had temporary life. How? Well, listen, the Bible, interesting, doesn't say that the fruit of this tree was poisonous or that it had some magic curse on that tree. You know, it doesn't say that Adam and Eve got some slow-killing poison that deteriorated their bodies. No, it just says that they suddenly knew both good and evil. So I want to think about this, right? How does the devil destroy our future? He does it by limiting our imagination about what is possible. By telling us, in this world, you have only two options. By telling us that God is only about two things, good and evil. So let me illustrate this point, is that all right? When I was 14, I thought that there were only two paths in life. One was to serve God full-time as a missionary or pastor or evangelist and live out the high calling of God or going out to live a normal life and working in the world. I thought there were only two options in the way to serving God. You know, God called me, put a dream in my heart like He did with Adam and Eve of eternal life. Hey, this is all yours. You can name all the animals. You can eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree. See, people like to focus on how God gave them one tree that they couldn't touch, but God gave them everything else that they could. God gave them a ton of options. So, so, but the devil, right, he can't limit God's power. He can't do anything to God to touch him. So what does he do? He tries to limit our imagination. He tells you, you have only two options. You see, this is the common lie that the devil tells every youth, new Christian that comes to our church. You can either live your life serving God in church and do badly in school, or you can do badly and do well in school and forget about church. There's only a good way or an evil way. And that limits us to what is possible. And that limited me for a very long time as a young person. But thank God, if you stick with Him and His Spirit is you, He will keep speaking and He will undo the lies that the devil tells you. You know, as I stuck with God over the years, I began to realize our God is so creative. There isn't just only one good way or bad way. Our reality and our lives and this universe is so beautiful and complex that the number of ways in which we can serve God is so multifaceted. It can change. It can evolve. You know, maybe I can serve God not just as a preacher, but I can serve God with being an artist, with being creative. Maybe I can use my intellect, not just my spirituality, to bring glory to God's kingdom. Maybe we can do something like into the gray. It doesn't have to be this or this. It doesn't even have to be limited by our experience or our skills. If God can take someone like me, who had no ability to preach and turn me into a preacher, 
then God can take that radical dream that you have, young person, on the inside of your heart that you are hoping will come to pass, and he can use it. You know what? Why can't you serve God with science? Why can't you serve God with math? Why can't you serve God with accounting? Why can't you serve God with programming? You see, that is how the devil stops you, by making you think you have limited options. By limiting what you think God can do and what you are allowed to do. Now, besides that, let me tell you, the devil will also try to stop you by limiting your imagination about what God's power in your life is for. So another story, are you ready? So let's go to the story about the temptation of Jesus. So it's actually the same storyline, all right? God calls Jesus, gives him a purpose and dream. Jesus goes and gets baptized. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in all power during his baptism. And the next moment, so Jesus decides, I'm going to go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to pray God and seek God, ask him, what should I do with this power and this calling? So, by the end of the 40 days, Jesus is exhausted, he is hungry, he is weak. And that's when the devil pounces, right? He tells Jesus, hey Jesus, Jesus, you're so hungry, use God's power, your power to turn stone into bread. You know what the devil's really trying to say to Jesus, right? God's power, your power is only good for turning stone into bread. That is all you are capable of. That is powerful enough, Jesus, if you can turn stone to bread. Use God's power to stop being hungry. But thank God, right, Jesus isn't so gullible. He had God's word in his heart. And it says God's word caused Jesus to have a bigger imagination and a dream than what the devil was saying. You know, he replies, the devil, he says, hey, dude, Humans need more than bread to live. Our lives and God's power in our lives is more than just about satiating our hunger. So the devil tries a second time, the Bible says, and he takes Jesus to the top of a synagogue, the the synagogue in Jerusalem, and he tells him at the rooftop, he says, hey, throw yourself down. If you have God's power, angels will come and protect you from harm. Then everyone will know that you are God's son and believe in you. Jesus says, shut up. God's power is for more than being well. It is for more than just being physically resurrected if you die. You know what Jesus is saying to the devil? Hey, dude, have a little imagination. Life is more than breath. Life is eternal and it doesn't end with the death of our physical body. Sickness isn't something to be afraid of because God's power is greater than those things and God's plan is further than those things. Well, think about it, right? Jesus' imagination about God's word, you know, it had to have created something in his life that he could answer about some things that we find so basic and so, so common and so this is the practical way to answer. You know, he goes, there's something more than that. He has such an imagination. So finally, the devil makes one last attempt. He puts on a fantastic magic show. And this is the worst of the temptations because it is the closest to a vision from God. The devil 
In a snapshot, the Bible says, shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all its power. Pretty good daydream, right? Pretty good mirage, right? And he tells Jesus, bow down and worship me instead of your heavenly father. And I will give you all the kingdoms that you see before you. Jesus is now fed up, scolds him, and he says, the Bible says, worship the Lord your God and him only get lost. You see, how did Jesus refute the devil's daydream? Well, very simple, because in his imagination and his conversations with God, God's vision was bigger and better. He knew that God's power was not limited to earthly success and power. He knew that life was greater, more extensive, more amazing than just money and fame. In his imagination, he knew God hasn't called me to rule some earthly, superficial, temporary kingdom. He's called me to alter the course of human history, to redeem the entire universe. That is what God's power is for. Not for small, limited, even though they are necessary dreams. You know, dreams for sustenance and food, for protection from harm, from freedom and health, from sickness, or just temporary success and influence. You know, those are great dreams, but God's power is not limited to those things. Have I brought my point across? You know, youth and young adults here, listen, don't ever let the devil cheat you of your true potential. By letting him limit your imagination and your ambitions. By causing you to exchange God's imagination for your life with a lesser, smaller, more superficial mirage of a dream. Because that is how the devil kills futures, by limiting our imagination. So it's interesting, right, how much this scenario plays out in real life. So let me give you some signs, is that all right? So researchers decided to study the effect of imagination on young people. And what they found is that imagination is extremely crucial for developing resilience. So they found that in the kids that they studied, those with less imagination grew up to be less resilient. And kids with imagination actually grew up to be more resilient than their peers. You know, in fact, researchers said a big problem is that when kids start going to school, it suddenly becomes socially unacceptable to have imaginary friends. It becomes socially unacceptable to daydream. And so children are laughed at by their friends, they are scolded by their teachers, and they are told by their parents to start growing up and to not embarrass them. And They found the faster you kill a child's instinct to imagine, the quicker you stop the process of developing resilience. In fact, along this line, some researchers decided to study some high-risk teens. That means teens who were at the age of, you know, anywhere from 11 to 15 to 16, 17. And they found that high-risk teenagers who had an imagination... Even though, you know, people around them, because obviously at their age, people will laugh at them, right? For their dreams, right? You know, people will laugh at them, but as long as they kept their imagination, even though people laughed at them and told them it's unrealistic, if they kept their imagination, these high-risk teens within a few years would develop better emotional recovery rate than those kids 
who shut down their imagination. They also stood a better chance of breaking free of the circumstances of trauma that they grew up in. Because through imagination, they developed better coping skills. They developed better resilience and they developed drive to change their future. So all the youth and young adults here, what are you doing with your God-given ability to imagine, to grow resilience? You know, are you letting the devil, past experiences, or even people around you limit you and shut down your future? Or are you letting God define you, grow you, and partner with you in imagining a better future for yourself? Amen? Which brings me, right? to prayer, and getting off social media and Netflix. (laughs) Now, here's a tip for all the future parents seated here, right? Researchers found that having a phone or iPad can potentially stunt the growth of a child or any person's ability to imagine. Because it takes away two things. One, it takes away the act of imagining because now you have something to do it for you. Two, it takes away time to imagine. You see, researchers found that imagination requires unstructured time. Enough time for a person to be alone with themselves and with their thoughts in order for ideas to grow and percolate, in order for children to dream out characters and personalities and worlds and scenarios and scenes and storylines. And so what they found is that as the generations grow up, if they don't watch their input, TV and social media reduces the likelihood of imaginative play. But prayer, time alone with God, putting your phone away when you're on a bus ride home and talking to God and evaluating your day, traveling down to work and and praying and reading your Bible and having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, it creates space to imagine, to dream, to visualize, to solve problems, to sort out your thoughts, to dream up a new future. So guys, I want to encourage you, make time to imagine. Make time to pray, and when you pray, make time to hear God through your thoughts and through your visions and your dreams. When you read the Bible, exercise the muscle of your imagination by imagining the scenario and the scene that's written on the page. When you ask God about things that you are not sure about in your life, ask Him to show you and speak to you and give you a vision about this scenario that you're struggling with. You know, do you know a lot of my quiet time is not just singing or praying in tongues endlessly or bringing requests to God endlessly. In fact, nowadays I seldom come to God with too many requests about money or food or healing. But I spend most of my time asking the Holy Spirit to work through my imagination. God, show me what you are doing in my future. Show me the changes in my character and behavior and my relationships I need to make in order to be a better leader. And I will imagine the way I talk to people, the way I lead people, the way I run meetings. Show me how to counsel people effectively. Show me how to make more money in my life, you know, so that I can influence my young adults to, be, to, to have breakthroughs in their own life. Show me what church and life and the world could look like with your power in it. 
And as God speaks, my vision and ideas change. My vision of the world that I can see evolves. And as my imagination changes, what I begin to say and do in real life begins to change. And when what I say and do changes, my reality and my future begins to literally transform. You see, never let the devil limit your imagination. Don't let him trap you and stop you by limiting your imagination. Because if he can stop you from dreaming, he can stop you from creating a future. Number three, are you ready? Finally, we create the future by using our imagination. So I don't know how many of you know a comedian, a comedic actor named Jim Carrey, okay? Now, I know this is pretty old. I think the YAs will know who he is. He is one of Ariana Grande's heroes. So that will be the entry point for the youth to understand who he is. Because he is a hero and he is an inspiration to many great comedians and actors in Hollywood. He's played a host of amazing people on screen. Some are hopefully familiar to you. Okay? But, you know, when Jim Carrey first started out as a young person in the acting industry, he really struggled to break through. And to make matters worse, he was someone who suffered with severe depression in his life. But at the time, was too broke to get professional help. And so after a long time of seeing nothing happen in his career and feeling really down and out, Jim Carrey decided to do something for himself. He took out a blank check and he wrote $1 million to his name. And every day, he would take out this check from his pocket and he would sit there for an hour imagining being an actor and being paid $1 million for his work. Now, I know one mil doesn't seem like a lot today, but back then, in his time, it would have made him one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. Now, about a year later of doing this, he got his first big break in a movie called The Mask. And it was such a big success worldwide that today, Jim Carrey is paid millions for starring in movies. He is paid so much that now he hardly has to work. He's become an advocate for mental health, and he is a successful producer in his own right. You see, what we imagine, we create. Even Jesus held on to this principle. He developed his imagination and therefore created a destiny. See, let me show you in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Is that okay? It says there, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we are in. Study how he did it. This is how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. You see, the Bible says Jesus never lost sight of his future. Jesus never lost sight in his imagination of where he was headed. He never lost sight of the dream and the calling that God put in his heart. And because of that, he could put up with the failures, the mistakes, the setbacks, the rejection, the pain on the cross, and endure. And because he never lost sight in his imagination... The Bible says today he is there in the highest place of honor alongside God. 
You see, guys, what we dream up in our imagination, what we choose to rehearse and repeat in our minds, what we choose to never lose spiritual sight of becomes the place where we end up. Jesus never lost sight of where he was headed. And that is where he ended up. He refused to let go. He refused to give up. He refused to be lazy in his imagination about where, where God was calling him. The Bible says he never lost sight. And that is how he went through challenges. That is how he overcame temptation. That is how he endured the cross. And you know, that is how he made a difference in all our lives. And is now, you know, in eternity in the highest place of honor. See, you young adults, you need to hold on to your imagination. The instinct that you were born with. You know, will you refuse to let the devil or people or the world stop you from dreaming? So, can I round out with one more story? Is that okay? How many of you know the, the movie or the movies on the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah. Right, so let me summarize to you. If not, you go home and watch the movie. It's fun to watch, okay? So, Narnia is about, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia is about basically four children. And they find this magical cupboard that leads them to a place called Narnia. Where they meet animals that can talk and magical creatures. And they meet the king of Narnia is this lion called Aslan who eventually sacrifices his life to save Narnia and to save them from an evil queen. But eventually, Aslan resurrects from the dead and with his army, he defeats the evil witch and he appoints these four children, kings and queens of Narnia, and they rule until they are quite old. After which, the first book rounds up with them returning to their real life as children as though no time had passed at all. Now, of course, they have a lot of adventures in between. But the last book is very, a very interesting book. Is that all right? And that is because in the last book, eventually two of the children uh, re-enter Narnia and they go on a great adventure and they go to heaven. And the book ends with two of the other children who never make it back because they lose their faith and they lose their imagination. And as a result, later on in life as adults, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, C.S. Lewis was a theologian. He was a professor, a writer, and a theologian. But he was also an artist, so he was telling a wonderful story, yes. But he was also writing about faith and the life of being in the kingdom of God. You see, Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 to 5 in the Message Bible says this, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and he said to his disciples, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you are not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. So, listen to what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must have the faith of a child. You know what I think Jesus was saying? I think he was saying, you must have the imagination of a child. You see, I want to reiterate, right? Children who have an active imagination are not delusional. 
Study after study confirms they know that they are playing make-believe. They might pretend like it's real, but they know that it is not. But as they imagine, their brain is developing. Their, their, their heart is growing. Their life is being prepared for a better future. So when Jesus says, be like a child, He's not talking about blind faith or delusion. He's not talking about being simplistic. He says, have the faith and the attitude of a child. He's talking about imagination. That God has put that in you, in your brain, in your spirit. I don't know where exactly it resides. In order for Him to speak to you and in order for Him to bring a new future to pass. So I want to encourage you here. All of you here, you've got to be dreamers. You've got to be imaginative. If you have gotten old and you stop using your imagination, if you let the world get to you, listen, Jesus says to you, as He said to the adult disciples, you've got to become like a child all over again. You've got to learn to imagine and to dream and to let God speak through your imagination and break boundaries and break binaries and, and break simplistic, limited thinking so that you can create a better future. 